Hello, and welcome to the DOS Champions crossover podcast featuring Linners and Woozers. I'm uh, one of your hosts, but somebody else will take over in a little bit and direct things. I'm Ryan Tooney. Uh, joining me is Alex Weinstein. Hola. He also is a member of DOS Champions. And then we have uh, Linners and Woozers. We have Ricardo Caminelli. Hey, how's it going, guys? And Nick Rosser. Hey, what's up? You guys can uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, Linners and Woozers is at Linners Woozers. And DOS Champions is at Champions DOS. Uh, we got a lot going on today, uh, mostly USMNT focused. Um, we're getting really pumped up for the upcoming game, game against Mexico, of course. And uh, yeah, without further ado, we're just going to jump into it. Um, first thing we want to talk about here is the overview of the standings. Alex, you want to take us away on that? Of course, would love to. So as it stands right now, Mexico's at the top of the table. Uh, Mexico's sitting with 14 points, no losses. Uh, the United States is in second with 11 points, so three points behind Mexico, and Canada's in third with 10 points. Um, rounding out the group um, is Panama. If they if everything stands in their current form, Mexico, United States, and Canada will go through, and Panama will have to play um, a qualifying game against a South American team to enter the tournament. And then we've got Costa Rica with six points, Jamaica with five, El Salvador with five, Honduras with three. So some big games coming up for the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we're going to jump right into talking about one of those uh, big games. Uh, Rico, you got anything to say on that? Yeah. Hey, Ryan. Thank Alex. Thank you guys for having us uh, today. Um, we're looking at the next two World Cup qualifying matches for the United States. Uh, as you guys know, the United States will face off Mexico for the third time this year. Um, Previous two fixtures, the United States beat Mexico in the Nations League final 3-2. Back in June, we saw some goals from Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney, and a 114th-minute penalty from Christian Pulisic. Um, and then, yeah, later that summer, the United States beat Mexico in the Gold Cup final with an extra-time winner from Miles Robinson. The final score in Vegas was 1-0. So I'm curious to know, guys, uh, will the U.S. men's national team do a three-peat over L3? Yes or no? It's open out there. So I am a little bit worried. I just want to say real quick that I am excited to be here. Um, I want to thank the DOS champions for having Lenders and Woozers on. It's very nice to be here, so thank you guys. But I just want to say I am very worried about this result because Mexico in their last two results looked like they played pretty well. They incorporated some young Olympic talent that they took to the Olympics. So their their game was influenced like by Cordova and... Um, uh, I'm spacing his name, but Cordova and some like Vega, just some names they took to the Olympics. So I'm kind of worried that they had two clean sheets in their last game, both home and away with an aggregate score of 5-0. Rally and Menes is back healthy. So it's just, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, think nerves are actually a good sign. We wouldn't, it wouldn't mean as much if to win if we, uh, if we weren't a little bit nervous about it. I share your your nerves a little bit, but I really think the U.S. is is rounding into a really good position here, and we do have a big chance to to win this win this game. Um, yeah, Mexico can be a scary opponent, and it's always a big game when we play them. But uh, I think if we if we go into the game 
with some confidence, there's no reason we can't come away as winners. It'll be interesting to see who Mexico selects in their uh, in their national team this time around. Um, I am actually in the same camp as Nick. Um, I agree that Raul Jimenez finding form in Wolves is a, a very dangerous thing for the United States. Um, do we have the potential to beat them? Of course. Like, I think we're a way better team in terms of talent pool, but um, Burhalter's had a really tough time putting it together, and I think the lack of pragmatism in the way that we've played is going to show up in this game against Mexico. Yeah, I'm just worried we're going to see roster selections like like seeing Ariola start or Zardes to bring some sort of verticality against Mexico when that's not going to be needed at that time. I think it, like if we're going to play Mexico without, say, a healthy Pulisic, without maybe a healthy Reina, then we're going to need a little bit more talent on the field than Greg Berlhalter is going to probably bring. So I'm, that's what makes me nervous too as well. And uh, Nick, you were at the Nations League final in Denver. So that must have been a great feeling for you, seeing your home country winning a trophy against your rival in your home state. I was just wondering if you could share some of those thoughts and memories you had from that game. Yeah, so during that game, I was I was very impressed with uh, Weston McKinney. He seemed like he was pretty locked down in defense. And actually, Kellen Acosta had a pretty good run at it. But I hope we don't really see him feature too much in this next game. I'm not going to lie. But I'm, I'm a bit worried about just like they're going to have a little more offense this time, I think like against our best lineup. So we're going to see probably Teca Tito. We're going to see Lozano and we'll see Jimenez. And last time, honestly, in that Nations League final, you can tell Mexico were without a number nine, a clean number nine. And now having Jimenez back in the lineup and a good, like Funes Mori is a good player and having him come off the bench, I do see some cracks that can be exploited. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just continuing that on some of those uh, players that you think will get the call up to face Mexico, and do you have any idea who you might think will not get the call up? Um, purely based off uh, club form and the amount of minutes he's currently have with the United States, I don't see Hoppy um, mm-hmm. getting any minutes. He's not playing too much at Mallorca. I'm not sure what's going on, and he hasn't seemed to been on Greg's best side in World Cup qualifying so far. Mm-hmm. What about you, Alex? Who do you think won't make it? Um, I definitely think Julian Green won't make it. Um, he hasn't been playing, and it would seem his time to make the, the men's national team has come and gone, sadly. Um, two other players that haven't been there that are probably not surprising. I don't think Georgi Mihailovic will be there, and I don't think uh, Dante Seeley will be there. Those are kind of no-brainers. Is there any other big snubs that I um, see failing to make the team? Um, maybe maybe Busio won't show up. Maybe De La Torre. I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't there, but I think that would be a, a big misstep by Burhalter. Ryan, what do you think? I was going to say if there is going to be a snub and it's going to be a significant one, I think it might end up being De La Torre. I think he should be almost an auto include right now. I really respect and rate his skill set uh, and think it brings something the team is in desperate need of. But I'm not sure that Burhalter values it in the same way. And I think um, Busio is is a little bit more of a lock to get in than uh, than De La Torre is currently, just based upon how how often he's playing for Venezia and it being perceived as a higher level than what De La Torre is doing. So if there's going to be a big one, I think it might be that one. Yeah, it'll be unfortunate if he doesn't take both, but I do seeing LDLT being the first one off. If you had to pick 
like pick between the two. Okay, on the other side of the question, then, and we talked a little bit about DLT not getting, you know, possible to snub if there's anyone. Um, and Ryan, you touched a little bit about Greg's, you know, value and preferences here. Do you think you'll see specific key different or any kind of different makers, uh, anything that they'll bring to the four three three? So I, I think the Nations League game, if we look at that, for who the biggest difference maker was, and I'll take the low-hanging fruit on this, uh, Weston and his aerial dominance against Mexico was, you know, it stood out so much in that game. Mm-hmm. And I think he, in a lot of ways, is a player they have a very difficult time dealing with. So if somebody's going to do something that kind of is just too much for Mexico to handle, I think it's going to come in the middle of the park from Weston. I mean... You talked about his aerial dominance and it showed in that Nations League final. I'm pretty sure he scored today against Sassuolo with a header off a set piece. Um, Nick, do you have any thoughts on anyone who could be a really good key difference maker bringing into the 4-3-3? So he didn't feature in the Nations League, but I think Yunus Musa will be a big difference maker. He brings such a such a strong knowledge to the game and he he has like a different kind of verticality where he can... He can march forward on his own with a dribble, beat one player, find the quick pass, find the quick outlet pass. So I think he'll be key going forward. While Weston McKinney will play, Weston McKinney and probably Tyler Adams, I think we'll see MMA, obviously, in the midfield. So I think they'll be more cleanup players while Musa will be kind of our charge going forward. So I think his inclusion will be key in the midfield. We do need someone that has more edge than Acosta. So I think Yunus Musa brings it. Ryan, you had a thought? Yeah, it's interesting to me that all three of us just went straight for the midfielders. And I wonder how much in general we are thinking like that is where the game is going to be won or lost. Uh, it is, it's really interesting to see if that, um, you know, is going to be the difference. And, and do we as a group or as individuals think that we have a better midfield right now than Mexico? Um, I certainly think so, but um, we haven't truly faced like Antunia and Cordova starting for them in the midfield with some of their old guys. So I think they're going to mix it up with a little bit of youth. So I'm pretty interested, but I do at the moment think we have a probably we'd probably edge them out overall. So I think the game has to be one in the midfield. If we deploy our best midfield, we um, we've got a better midfield than Mexico. And I've got a ton of respect for that team, but just objectively speaking, we have a we have a better midfield than they do. Um, Yunus Musa is a fantastic talent, and I think he is an X factor. Um, if you if you could criticize him at all, it's how young he is and how much experience he has. But I mean, even if you shake that midfield up and you decide to exclude Musa and put in like a Busio instead or a De La Torre, it's still a significantly better midfield than what Mexico is going to deploy, especially when you consider um, the age of the groups and their vitality. I think we're going to also need an aerial threat because all of our goals against Mexico have been off set pieces. So I think maybe do we call in PFOC this time around to play in Mm -hmm. Mexico or are we looking at Zardes as that aerial threat? Because I think that's going to be pretty key going forward. I think maybe Sargent might also start against Mexico, but I'm not. I'm not quite sure, but I think they're going to look for where Mexico's weaknesses are. And all 
um, three of our four goals against them were off set pieces. So I think we're going to try to go around that route again. You know who that screams to me? Daryl DK. He's, he's been all right. I don't know if he's like, you know, what's happened to him in the last week. I know that he's back with Orlando City and he appears to be playing well. And if you're looking, I've been wondering this for a while, like what is the trait of the American game? That physicality is something that DK can offer. He He's like an inherent mismatch. And if you have to choose between DK and Zardes, I'm going DK all day. P-Folk is going to give you a lot more in like the hold up and the technical play. Um, but if you're looking specifically for aerial duels and a physical mismatch, that's DK. Unfortunately, I uh, just want to go ahead and uh, point out here, I'm looking, it looks like Zardes is out for their two to four weeks, could miss the rest of the regular season, questionable for those World Cup qualifiers with a little MCL sprain. It's a grade two MCL sprain, so it's a little unfortunate there. Hopefully he's got that speedy recovery, but the United States still has those options for an aerial dominance. And um, as we get closer to the game, I'm sure we'll go ahead and touch up a little bit more and get a little bit more of our predictions in line and what our thoughts will be against the Mexico game. But following that Mexico game, the U.S. men's national team travels away to face off Jamaica. Um, it looks like fans will not be able to attend. So I'm curious to know, guys, does that benefit the U.S. men's national team, fans not being there? I think the only thing that the U.S. will be focusing on this game is that result against Mexico. I don't think I think with or without fans, the U.S. should be looking for a result in Jamaica. When you look at how poor their federation is run, and how thin their player pool is when it comes to um, every World Cup roster selection so far, so I think what we need to focus on is like that Mexico result. But if we're gonna go off the no fans, then yes, it does play a favor in the U.S. No, I'm, I I uh, agree with that, Nick. I'm gonna go off of that. It is. There is an expectation of a win there, but it does come down to where the tie against Mexico, what the result looks like, how the players will be, if the fitness, who is available to play at the time. And I just kind of want to, you know, this kind of brings on my next point, guys. I just want to know if it feels like the United States is overtaking Mexico as the dominant football nation in North America, or is this kind of like a cyclical form where we'll see it fluctuate throughout the years? just want to go ahead and bring up a quick stat for you guys. Before the 2000, Mexico had 29 wins over the U.S. six. And then since 2000, the U.S. has 16, whereas Mexico compares to nine. So where is this shift coming from? Is it a cyclical or is the U.S. overtaking Mexico? So it feels like for me, we are um, we're just able to consistently generate young players at a higher level right now. Our entire team is super young. You see some of the stats that come out that... Um, you know, the, the Champions League players are and their average ages, that kind of stuff you'll see floating around on Twitter. And the thing that's always sticking out to me is the the youth within our team. And a lot of that is why we're starting to at least overtake Mexico currently. It's the it's about is this going to just be a phase, right? Or is it going to be like a like the permit permanent ascendancy here? And um, I actually think it might end up being that we are the dominant force here for a while. Uh, even since, like you said, with, since the year 2000, we've been, we've been much, much better than Mexico in terms of head to head results. And, uh, we always have some tough losses against them, but I think in general, our trajectory is, is a lot uh, better than theirs. And they've kind of 
plateaued in terms of the type of talent they're producing. Ryan, do you think that's due to like what what does that do to? Do you think it's due to the US having a domestic league and other domestic leagues or It's really tough to say if it's due to like any one thing specifically. Uh, Certainly the emergence of MLS academies and their relationship with European clubs and moving talent on is is changing the game a lot. I I think just looking at the examples like, you know, of FC Dallas in general um, and then Philadelphia Union a little bit with their recent um, moves, that type of thing starting to kind of solidify is really giving us a consistent um a consistent quality player alex you had some thoughts yeah um i think there's like a big piece of it that it has to do with just like the connected world that we live in um social media um even just the internet in general um we've really only been interacting in the way that we're interacting i mean for old folks like Ryan and I, it's only been like this for like uh, about 15 years, 15, 16 years, right? Um, even when I was a kid, not everybody had cell phones. And I know I sound like a friggin' dinosaur, but it takes a little while for the world to catch up to that trait. And so the popularity of the technique that's used in Europe and, and just the overall popularity of the game um, is starting to spread to the United States. And even before that happened, that, you know, technological advancement that allowed us to become more familiar with the game. Soccer was the fastest growing sport in the nation. Um, I think there's like a lot of alternatives to like dangerous sports like football, where, you know, your kid can walk away um, with like a limp at like for the rest of his life at 18, 19 years old. And I don't want to over exaggerate, but it's a fast growing sport. It's a better alternative for parents. Our ability to be connected and develop the youth system is, is starting to grow. And I, I would venture to guess that that trend is going to dovetail into an economic feature and whoever emerges as the dominant league in the United States is going to reap the benefit of that. Cause I personally don't think it it's like the MLS's upbringing. I think we've had more access to watching the European leagues overseas now. And then people are starting to become fans of the premier league, La Liga, and actually recognize like, the atmosphere over there, the actual skill over there. I just don't think the MLS hits it with grassroots fans and all that where the actual sport starts, you know, from the labor, from the labor working families. That's where like the sport really takes off. And I don't think the MLS does a good job at that. They put all these teams in like just the mega cities that have media, but they're not really gaining fans because they're not in touch with the community. So I think, probably just the accessibility to foreign leagues has probably pushed the players to be better here and want to go play over there. And, um, you know, with this big push for players, uh, you know, moving their talents outside of the MLS, you know, we see a lot of those younger players going out to Europe. And you mentioned a couple of those academies, FC Dallas, Philadelphia Union being two of them. There are talents within our domestic leagues that are also getting ready to begin that journey to move from U- MLS, USL to Europe. You know, some of those players, Nick, you have favorable ones. Any Anyone you want to point out in particular? I just want to be clear real quick that the U.S. is like on a de- like only at a developmental stage of players mm-hmm. like you, you have a there's a clear ceiling where players play at and where they can't play at in other foreign leagues. And I just think that 
maybe we overhype a little bit our youth here and we haven't let them develop fully. Like, for example, there's two players I really like. I really like Caden Clark and Cade Cow, but they got hyped up so much that I hope they like they didn't fall into the pressure so far because right now we're seeing Caden Clark have go 516 minutes straight without a goal or an assist, and he's got a big move to RB Leipzig coming up. So I wonder, do you guys think that is that premature or should he stay in the MLS longer to get development? What do you guys think? I think it's absolutely premature. Um, he's going to get eaten alive in the Bundesliga. Um, I imagine he's going to have to be loaned out. Uh, I, I can't conceive of any alternative other than him riding pine, which I don't anticipate is good for his development as a whole. But um, I think you hit on a really important point, Nick. There is like an element of overhype that's happening um, within our fan base. And our, our fan base is just reactionary in general. But um, a, a, like a clear example of the overhype is like a frame of reference. And I, I, I don't want to get too off topic with this is like Wolfsburg not being a good enough academy for Pepe. And yeah, there might be other options or sure, surely other places he could go if he wanted to. But the idea that we're so bullish on the players that are coming out of the MLS that we would scoff off a team like Wolfsburg, who's developed the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, is an indication that we're we're overhyping our talent pool a little bit. Um, and that's just my personal opinion. I think that comes from like, I don't know. There was a couple Americans there that didn't quite pan out, but I don't think they were on the level of Ricardo Pepe. So I don't like they didn't get the minutes probably simply because they weren't good enough at the time. And I think it would be a fantastic destination for Pepe to go because they got he can shadowed the likes of Wout Weghorst and he's an outstanding striker and he's about to hit 30. So I think it's a good situation for him and to get out into a solid team in a solid domestic league in Europe would be the best move. But I don't know. People just expect him to make like a prem move or somehow be in the top six teams. I just don't, I don't see it at the moment. Yeah. And I'm uh where do you guys see some of these more of the domestic leagues going? How are they been growing? I know that you mentioned some of these local teams. Uh, Nick, you talk about New Mexico United. You've had the opportunity to go ahead and learn more about them. I just wanted to go ahead and see if you had some thoughts you wanted to go ahead and share with us about New Mexico United and other teams in the local and domestic leagues within the United States. Yeah, I just like I really I'm really fond of the USL model. I think it's hitting on all the grassroots areas where people are interested in the sport. They just don't have a connection. They don't have an MLS team within their territory. Their territory rights are definitely sold to that MLS team, but they don't have a team they can even go support. They can't even be in the supporters group unless you go 100 plus miles. So I really like the USL model. It's going off um, of finding those players that are, you know, maybe not going to play college soccer, maybe not going to play um, like in the MLS straight away. It's just giving them another opportunity to play good ball against good talent. So like I'm a fan of like New Mexico United because that whole state doesn't have an MLS team. So how are you going to like be inclusive to them? So I like them because they're, they probably average over like 12 K fans a game, which is probably higher than, honestly some mls teams so it, it just shows that the culture is everywhere and i like how the usl is modeling it for the places that aren't quite touched by the mls 
Okay. Okay. And um, another example of uh, New Mexico United, Ryan, I know you wanted to go ahead and speak on Forward Madison. Yeah, I uh, recently went to a Forward Madison FC game, and I think everything Nick's touching on is applicable with them. Uh, I had a great experience there. They got a, a older, cool stadium. Um, the whole motif of the club is is super attractive, and they they have there's a lot of kids going there and watching and stuff. And and it's right down like on the isthmus of in Madison, and the the whole vibe is it's something that I think makes people feel like they're really part of something. And I'm just not sure that type of connection develops with the MLS teams on such a widespread and consistent basis as USL is doing right now. And not just that, the USL is touching on the women's game as well. As the NWSL starts to crumble due to lawsuits and mismanagement, the USL is emerging with uh, two divisions that are connected with youth academies and youth programs creating a whole pipeline also for women. So I think their model is really trying to embrace the whole embrace the whole public instead of, you know, just your marketable areas. Because I think the whole game is market like could be marketable if you spread out, but not to some people. Yeah, and you talk about the whole league could be, you know, expanded and there's a lot of unclaimed space. Alex, did you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think what these guys have said has been spot on. Um, the MLS is just simply not appealing to uh, to like the grassroots effort. Um, I think the USL teams do a much better job of that, and there are there's even competition beyond that. So there's a there's a league, um, NISA, NISA, and the guy who is basically putting the league together is a, is a dude named Peter Wilt. He was a founding member of the Chicago Fire, the Chicago Red Stars, the Indy Eleven. Um, the, the association as a whole, NISA, um, which is the National Independent Soccer Association, he was a big player in forward Madison. He was a big player with the Green Bay Voyagers and, and now Chicago House AC is who he's the uh, managing director of. Um, he's putting together this league, NISA, which is going to be a pro-rel league by 2027. That's their goal. I think they were founded in 2017, so 10 years later. Um, they're trying to be um, they're trying to be full on pro rel and they have like a specific mission that's dedicated to like service you know servitude service of the community and um, I think the MLS is really missing out on that and the fans that really understand the game that are choosing to watch the EPL or European leagues are choosing to do that in some ways even in sp- uh, in spite of the MLS like they realize that they could put their dollars towards the MLS but also understand that the MLS was basically absent for their development. And they can see, you know, the MLS is basically not present in their neighborhood to the extent that they should be with the dollars that they have behind their program. And so I think buyer sentiment is well oriented towards some of these emerging leagues like USL in, in NISA. I think there's a huge addressable market there that hasn't been captured. Um, and I, I think the MLS knows that. And you can see these subtle panic moves by the MLS. So, for example, there was reports that came out recently that valued um, soccer clubs at, at a $400 million valuation. The highest MLS club has ever sold for is uh, $400 million, And that was the most recent deal with Orlando City. There was a whole bunch of assets that went into that deal, such as the stadium and ownership of the women's team as well. So um, I think the market is wide open, and I think fans are really starting to engage with their local clubs, which is great for 
youth and local development. Um, you can see that with like RSL, they're struggling to sell at a $300 million valuation. And my fear is with a closed league in like US sports is that they might just, they, they're franchises, so they're just going to move them to a more profitable place possibly. So uh, my worry is like maybe RSL, as much as I hate their name, trying to copy European style, um, they might be in Vegas in the next couple of years or another marketable area like San Antonio. So I don't know exactly how we should address that. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, it, it would be really a shame for them to leave that community and then try mm-hmm. to just go purely, all right, where's the place to go and, and do it? it? It, I hadn't really considered what you had said, Nick, and it, it just makes me, you know, I, I so I'll just kind of go off the rail here a little bit. I was born in Minneapolis and the North Stars left Minneapolis to go to Dallas when I was a kid. So like, you know, the state of hockey loses a hockey team like that. And so if that type of like shameless stuff is done with hockey, you can only imagine what will be done in soccer where like the sport is even, you know, less revered in in the area maybe. Yeah, it's just clear fan alienation and it's really frustrating. That's why I really like the USL model. And like you pointed out, Alex, the best way to go about it is probably that open system that NISA are trying to push and the rumor on the block is that the USL will vote in December, so that coming up in a couple months for a pro for an open league for pro relegation that will include two divisions, including the USL Championship and the USL League One. So I think that's just going to give more opportunity, and I think that could be their chance to emerge as a league that's for the people, and that's where you'll honestly probably get your groundworks going. So uh, one thing that just came to mind for me is that there's a lot of these different things going on. You know, we got NASA, we have USL. The unfortunate thing here is that it isn't like all consolidated and into a pyramid. It would be unfortunate for it to kind of fall apart because everybody's trying to make their own thing rather than coming together to to make one one pyramid. And really, that falls at the lap of the USSF. And, you know, this, obviously the, the whole marketing situation with them and the MLS dictates this kind of stuff a lot. It'll be really interesting to see how this picture takes shape uh, after the sum marketing agreement with USSF uh, expires at the end of next year. I'm hoping that if this, if this pro-relegation gets voted on and it gains traction, it might free the MLS teams from their shackles that is sum. Well, even though some's ending, there's there's still going to be another financial beneficiary that's going to help them out. So I'm just wondering if like they can maybe just pip them, beat them to the spot, and gain the actual fan bases that will grow, and maybe the MLS teams will be leveraged into joining. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping like there's they're they're too valued high to now, honestly, to like be thrown away. So I think they'll they might just be leveraged in. I agree with exactly what you just said there, Nick. Um, at the end of the day, like the consumer is going to make the decision. Um, and if the consumers start spending their money in a certain area, the MLS owners are going to have to either bail on their investment entirely or become part of what's going on at a broader picture. 
Yeah, I don't see why they can't take their valuations into the new new program and just then run it open. It like they'll probably stay in the league for a lot longer and run little risk for at least decades compared to some USL programs. Okay, well, um, I really do appreciate um, you guys shared some really nice thoughts on pro relegation and on those unclaimed spaces and the expansions of adding those new leagues and how that puts pressure on the MLS. Just wanted to go ahead and turn around and bring some positive news. Coming out of Northern Colorado, new USL League One team, Noco Hailstorm FC. Uh, they were just founded, looking to go ahead and join USL League One. Um, I got the great opportunity to speak with head coach Iman Zayed and, you know, get to know him more on a personal level and kind of understand where his experience in football came from. Uh, he enjoys a good laugh. He has a great ambition for the club. And honestly, uh, it was a great opportunity to speak with him. Uh, he really envisions building a proper club for both men and women in the coming future. And, he, you know, he's talked a lot about providing that ground for youth soccer to develop and involving the community. So kind of touching on that, Nick, where you were talking about developing those grassroots fans. Um, he thinks of it as it is bigger than just the sport of soccer. It is communities built on local sports. And so um, there's a great vision there um, coming from not only the coach, but also the founders of the club. Um, currently, they have released a line of merchandise so you can get your own NOCO FC gear. Um, links to their social media, um, and we'll post all of that information um, following this. But I uh, wanted to go ahead and move towards something new here uh, we can go ahead and touch on is a little concept, Nick, you kind of brought up is what is the ideal U.S. men's national team fan? What that kind of looks like, the ideal fan. Where should the U.S. fandom be? And where should we be relative to other parts of the world? I know you touched a little bit on that earlier, but if you wanted to go ahead and go in depth. So... As you can see on social media and probably other platforms in person, maybe, I'm not sure, there's a quite distinct uh, difference between what the U.S. fan is. And right now we have a mix between people who are, um, you know, MLS lovers. They follow their team only and they wish what's best for their players. They don't focus too much on the national team unless it honestly involves their players. And then we have your European players um, your where people like to refer to them as your Euro snobs. Sorry, your fans that only watch European players and think that they're better that because they play in a better league. Personally, I probably lean on the Euro snob side, but it's just like so frustrating because we have this whole like civil war between our fan bases that a little tribal war. Yeah, a little tribal war, and it's so it's so frustrating because I go to I go on a Twitter account called Selasau Talk and. Every Brazil fan that follows him, and he's got quite a big following, they all have like kind of the same vision of where their lineup should be. And this team is undefeated, if I'm like not mistaken, in Common Bowl, which is a much harder thing. And they're cruising; they're going to qualify in the World Cup. I'm pretty sure next with the next result. So I'm just like they have a quite like they have a focus. They can separate their Brazilian league with the best players for the Brazilian team, which I think the U.S. like fandoms like fails to do because we do have high profile MLS players that deserve to be um, playing like such as your Ricardo Pepe's, maybe your Matt Turner's, your Miles Robinson's. But I do think the frustration comes from certain MLS players that are being called. Yeah. What do you think? That does, 
so yeah, it's a uh, it's a really interesting space because it's not like we need to be a monolith or something, you know. Like even through our conversation about engaging with lo- people on a local level, there's inherent like diversity, and we would assume diversity of thought comes with that too. So it's fine for people to disagree with one another. What it seems like is happening in the U.S. Uh, space is like just people really falling into camps and actually like there's there's a lack of of nuance and thought that occurs when that's going on you know the arguments are often about just like like should areola be called in or not and and things that they feel like dead horses and they should be kind of like dealt with already um and we get we get our our tires stuck in the mud on those things when we could be discussing, uh, you know, more nuanced subjects about, about the team, which is I'm imagining is what you see in that uh, Brazilian forum. Um, yeah. I just want to go ahead and point out, I mean, a little bit of that civil war, that tribal war between the fans and just kind of sticking to their own agendas. And even though some of those opinions and their hot takes might be little, just, doesn't follow along with what's best for the U.S. men's national team. And I know that one of the biggest components, like you both mentioned, has to do with deciding what a proper lineup should be. Um, A lot of it is just, I think, personally, looks like we're missing a lot of that positivity um, between each other within the fans. Um, And I know, Ryan, and you and I talked about it a little bit. Positivity just helps a lot. Um, It helps a lot on and off the field. At the end of the day, we can all agree that we all want to win. And that we, at times, um, you know, we don't agree on that as much and we're not willing to admit. And a lot of it comes from uh, those little mistakes and pointing fingers and blaming. And what's quickest to be blamed is the head coach, Greg. And a lot of the, I know that there's strong opinions everyone has about him and his tactics and a lot of it, how he stands as a coach. But we tend to overlook some of the positive things that he does, some of the positive you know, uh, decisions that he makes on and off the field. And personally, like one that I always like to point out is the fact that one of our MLS players that plays for the Colorado Rapids, Kellen Acosta, we can all agree he's a pretty volatile player that he can go ahead and get moved around in the formation. Um, You know, kind of making that decision in the Nations League final rather than waste a sub just to move him over to uh, one of the fullback positions and then bring on Tyler Adams to finish off the game as a center defensive mid little things like that um that we don't necessarily always look at and tend to overlook um nick you wanted to go ahead and touch on that a little bit yeah i just wanted to say that i think a lot of the rifts are started because of greg berhalter though i think we're witnessing like he's still bringing up the same deadweight players that there are honestly other MLS players that should be getting called up in the mix, but we keep seeing the likes of, I'm sorry to say, I'll be harsh. I don't really care. Jossi Zardes, Paul Ariola, um, rolled on. I'm like when we could have been seeing Mihailovic, um, possibly a Clark. I, so I think that's where a lot of things are wrong. Cause I don't think he's he integrated enough players to even know where a tactical system is fit because I don't we don't have a truly an identity at at the moment either. So I think he kind of failed in that regard to figuring out which like which players play best with who and what in what position they play in. So I I think I don't know. Greg still doesn't get me with that. Yeah, I I uh, tend to agree with you, Nick. Um, I'm 
I don't want to say I'm just like straight a Burhalter out guy, but I will say he didn't deserve to be hired in the first place. Uh, so maybe I am Burhalter out. But anyways, I think that trying to get beyond that, having like a, we all want to win, right? We want to qualify for the World Cup. We want to see the U.S. play in the World Cup. And to touch back on what you were saying, uh, Ricardo, about positivity, it, it really should be a cohesive thing for us. And I even think to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the Mexico game, this is probably one of the good good spots where the fans are going to probably be on the same page more often than not now, you know, because all bets are off. We don't we don't care. We just want to win. Um, and so I'm actually kind of relishing uh, dropping some of these these extra trappings that can be rather negative and, and just getting to concentrate on the game and, and enjoy mm-hmm. it. Because that's what it's all about. I do think that previous result does help a little bit of the nerves, the the quality players did play well together. So I think there will be kind of like a more agreeing starting 11 between the U.S. fan base coming into this Mexico game because, yeah, we don't want to be embarrassed by our biggest rivals at home, and I think that's important. And so I think most fans will see the right lineup, and I hope that will be a nice trend we'll see in the future. And uh, how do we – how can we go ahead and kind of educate our local fan base and just kind of what to go ahead and expect or get them to know what to look for in a lineup against a team like Mexico? As far as educating our fan base goes, um, I can't speak about like how specifically we educate them about Mexico, but maybe this answer will help a little bit. Um, it starts off with admitting like who we are as a soccer culture. Um, we're extremely young, like, Soccer's only been like a popular sport in the United States for really like it wasn't at the beginning of my lifetime. And, and now all of a sudden it is and it's it's growing exponentially. So we're this young fan base. And what are all the things that come with being young? Well, you know, we're impulsive, like young people are impulsive and the devices that we have around us cause us to be even more impulsive. We're not super well educated as a fan base. There's not this rich soccer history that our parents have taught us about and, and our grandparents are aware of. Um, and many of us are, are young in our life and young in our careers. And so we don't feel this sense of empowerment behind the work we do. And if we can kind of combat all those things, um, I think we'll be a lot better off as a fan base. But the, be- the best thing we can do leading up to the next set of games is find common ground. What are things that we can all agree upon? And then what are manageable topics to disagree about while still having mature, non-impulsive discourse with one another? Yeah, I think we just need to... In order to educate people about the national team, and sorry to go away from the Mexico statement, but in order to like educate people about the national team, they just need to learn about their own local soccer, their own, and love the game. Because if they won't see the game, like if you don't love it, you don't view it critically like we do. You know what I mean? So I think just like what we were touching on earlier, that we need to increase local engagement. I think ourselves as fans, I think. The people that are more educated can help their friends out. And just like we're doing, we're starting podcasts. There's so many other people starting mm-hmm. podcasts. I think that's what we need to be doing to help Nick, our fans. Nick, how has uh, local and youth soccer in your experience boosted your love and involvement with soccer? I just, I honestly just saw like. Did you travel at all for youth soccer? Yeah, just traveling all over the place. You can just see like how many people are good and. You can honestly start dreaming. Like once you hop on a plane to go play somewhere else or do a road trip, you can just see yourself flying to a Premier League match one day or something. So I think 
just me growing up watching playing in different tournaments being able to travel over i saw that so many different people and cultures love the sport and i think that's what got me mostly into yeah no i uh, totally understand and i know ryan you your involvement with soccer started with uh bavarian majors and you got a nice opportunity to also travel yeah, so uh, Bavarian Majors is like the top-level team at the club. They, the youth club is, I think it's called Bavarian United now. It was Bavarian FC when I, I was there. They like to say that they got everything from U6 to U100. There's like an old, an old man's team even that, that gathers and plays. But um, yeah, I think I really just had a unique experience. Um, it's a very old club founded in 1929. One of the cool things that they did is at U16, every club will go spend two weeks in Germany. It's a it, Bavarians. It's a German club. Travel around every two days, play a couple of games. Um, it really shaped the way that I kind of view view the game and it really being more of a, a family experience. I, I have three other siblings. We all ended up playing the, at the club at different, different times. Um, that was the same for many people that were involved in it. And yeah, it, I just really like that type of, of um, you know, everybody from the neighborhood kind of getting together and, and doing something together. And there's a lot of power in that. Um, and you don't always, things don't need to be all flash and, and, and everything all the time. Uh, I do want to note the Bavarian majors totally cleaned up in the WSL fall season. They were undefeated champions. I think they won their last game 6-0. Semifinals are the weekend of the sixth and the seventh, so I'm I'm going to be hitting that up, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Alex, do you have any thoughts? You wanted to say anything about your experience on what boosted the love for soccer or your involvement? Yeah, I mean, uh, Ryan's Ryan's got like three years on me, but his dad was an integral figure in in bringing soccer to our community. Um, he I think he knew his kids were interested in it, and so he he kind of developed like the big footers what was it what was the name of the program ryan it's like the big footer soccer association what was it yeah i mean you know you can't give them all the credit there were people that came before him and people that came after him uh but definitely when i was a kid and before i moved up uh to play in in milwaukee for the bavarians he uh did a lot of work with the the local youth club the big footer uh youth soccer association the local high school is called bigfoot um so that's where the name comes from. <laughs> so I, I mixed it up. I mean, that's how I met Ryan and Steve. Like when we were really young, I would go play as like a guest player in these tournaments. And it was stuff like that that really just like brought people together and um, almost like gave you a sense of culture. It was like kids playing with kids, you know, being out, like hanging out with kids who were older and younger and like all having common ground. And it was just really good for social development in general. And eventually as the game matured, I like went and traveled and and met people and was just socially interacting constantly. And like the competitiveness of playing a sport is inherently good for like an individual's development. I mean, for me, it went all the way that because Ryan's dad was a figure in the community and someone introduced the game to me, I was able to even put myself through college playing. And so that's my vision of like what the game is supposed to be. And that's, um, that's the positive experience that's led me here today, more or less. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like in Colorado, we have this, just like a pub team from Boulder that came together and, and now they compete in they I don't know how many US Open Cups they compete in, but it's just like a it's just another avenue. You don't have to go to a flashy MLS next team. You don't have to go the college route, which I probably wouldn't recommend if you want to go further in the game. That's just me. But 
Harpo's themselves, they're just a semi-pro team based out of a pub in Boulder that they they compete in tournaments that are looked by all these teams. Like we'll post a picture here or and post a link in the bio. But they've competed in this tournament called the Alianza de Football Tournament, which for example, they'll have Liga MX teams, MLS teams, the men's national teams from Mexico and US and possibly even Canada show up to see the talent that isn't being looked at. So I think like a community-based like soccer is where to go and that's how you understand the sport better because you can view it within your own com- people you can understand it with your own community. It's it's like more touching rather than being shoved down your throat. You have to be a sporting KC fan because you live in Iowa, something like that. Just wanted to see if anyone else had some closing thoughts regarding, you know, U.S. soccer fandom, educating our fan base or anything in terms of local engagement. I am all good on my end. This was fun to talk about. Yeah, well, I just want to go ahead and uh, say I appreciate Alex, Ryan, for having both Nick and I from Linners and Woozers coming on and doing one of these crossover podcasts with y'all. It's been a lot of fun. I got we got the opportunity to discuss some of that U.S. men's national team forecast coming up ahead, matches against Mexico, discuss a little bit about our domestic local league, some players we like, and as well as discussing some of those teams that we grew up loving and what has gotten us into soccer. Nick, do you have any closing thoughts you want to go ahead and say? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to the DOS champions, Alex and Ryan, for having us on. I hope we get to do this more. It's definitely fun talking to you guys. It's good to see other guys out there that are very passionate about the game. They want the game to be inclusive to everybody, all genders. And yeah, thank you guys for having us on. Guys, it was an absolute blast to have you on. Uh, you know, this went so well. I'm you know excited to do it again. Uh, Alex, do you have anything to add? No, nah, just this is what it's about. Yeah, it really is. Uh, this was this was a pleasure, guys. So, uh, you know, I just want to say for uh, Fat Ronaldo's children, everybody stay safe and have a good one.